Welcome to KUOW's Speakers Forum. I'm your host, John O'Brien, in this extra episode. This year will mark the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Today, the United States celebrates the birth of the great nonviolence activist and civil rights leader. The federal holiday was signed into law in 1983 by President Reagan, but it wasn't until the year 2000 that all 50 states officially observed the holiday. For 45 years, Seattle has honored Dr. King with a celebration of his life and call to continued action. The event includes music, poetry, awards, and a keynote address. This year's speaker was Seattle writer Ijeoma Aluo, the author of the new book, So You Want to Talk About Race. Her speech addresses MLK's legacy and the state of nonviolence in 2018. The 45th Annual Community Celebration of Martin Luther King Jr., presented by Seattle Colleges, was held on January 12th at Mount Zion Baptist Church. Sonia Harris recorded the event. Good afternoon. <laughs> the following are Dr. King's six principles of nonviolence violence excerpted from his book Stride Toward Freedom. First, it must be emphasized that nonviolent resistance is not a method for cowards. It does resist. If one uses this method because he is afraid or merely because he lacks the instruments of violence, he is not truly nonviolent. This is why Gandhi often said that if cowardice is the only alternative to violence, it is better to fight. While the nonviolent resistor is passive in the sense that he is not physically aggressive toward his opponent, his mind and emotions are always active, constantly seeking to persuade his opponent that he is wrong. The method is passive physically, but strongly active spiritually. It is not passive non-resistance to evil. It is active nonviolent resistance to evil. Thank you. A second basic fact that characterizes nonviolence is that it does not seek to oh it does not seek to defeat or humiliate the opponent, but to win his friendship and understanding. The nonviolent resistor must often express his protest through non cooperation or boycott. But he realizes that these are not ends themselves. They are merely means to awaken a sense of moral shame in the opponent. The aftermath of nonviolence is the creation of the beloved community, while the aftermath of violence is tragic bitterness. A third characteristic of this method is that the, that the, the act is directed against forces of evil rather than against persons who happen to be doing the evil. We are out to defeat injustice and not white persons who may be unjust. A fourth point that characterizes nonviolent resistance is their willingness to accept suffering without retaliation, to accept blows from the opponent without striking back. Rivers of blood may have to flow before we gain our freedom but it must be our blood. 
Gandhi said to his countrymen, the nonviolent resistor does not seek to dodge jail. If jail is necessary, he enters it as a bridegroom enters the bride's chamber. A fifth point concerning nonviolent resistance is that it avoids not only external physical violence, but also internal violence of spirit. The nonviolent resistor not only refuses to shoot his opponent, but he also refuses to hate him. At the center of nonviolence stands the principle of love. A sixth basic fact about nonviolence resistance is that it is based on the conviction that the universe is on the side of justice. Consequently, the uh, believer in the nonviolence has deep faith in the future. This faith is another reason why the nonviolent resistor can accept suffering without retaliation, for he knows that in his struggle for the justice, he has cosmic companionship. Thank you all. What a wonderful welcome to the Seattle College's 45th annual community celebration of Martin Luther King Jr. Good morning, everybody. Good afternoon now, everybody. My name is Essex Porter. I'm a reporter at Cairo TV Channel 7. My honor, my pleasure to be invited to be your MC for such a wonderful tradition as a celebration of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Duwamish, who are the original inhabitants and custodians of this land. We'd also... <laughs> we pay respect to the elders, past and present, and extend that respect to the other indigenous people who are present with here today. For me, hearing Dr. King's principles of nonviolence from these wonderful young people is very powerful. Let's thank them by name. Alexandria Evans of Garfield High School. Dupree Pickett, Claire Eberhardt, they're from John Stanford International High School. Asante, Asante Clark, I believe, and I apologize if I've gotten it wrong. Uh, Uzi Jimenez, Dominique Gordon. Again, let's give them all a big round of applause. And thank you to Robert Pegues for our musical prelude. He was inspired, he was inspired in his music career by Phyllis Birdwell, a longtime minister of music here at Mount Zion. While pursuing his associate degree in applied science and networking, he got a job at Amazon and wants to become a web service administrator. Thank you again. And let's also thank those fabulous singers. Greatest, greater works. <laughs> Let me tell you a little about them. Now, you may have seen Danelle Damon and these singers on the most recent season of America's Got Talent. Even though they've 
performed in front of millions of people. They took time to come and perform for us. This celebration and the work of Dr. King is important to many of you. I know that many of you are privileged to return here year after year. If you have been in this audience for 20 years or more, please stand up. Anybody been here 20 years or more? I know there's gonna be plenty. What a wonderful testament to a to a great man. Now our audience today extends beyond the walls of the church. Thanks to Seattle College's cable television, we are live streaming the program, and there are viewing parties and discussions going on at Seattle Central College, North Seattle College, South Seattle College, and Seattle Vocational Institute. Now as you can see on your program, this is the 45th year Seattle Colleges have produced this celebration for our community. Leaders of the Mount Zion Baptist Church are seated in the front row, and we'd like to thank them and those before them for hosting this celebration. The church has a long history of being a community gathering place for important civic and cultural events. At the height of the Civil Rights Movement, Dr. King himself came to Seattle at the request of his friend, Dr. Samuel McKinney. McKinney was pastor here at the time, and it was to be Dr. King's only visit to our city. Reverend McKinney was the keynote speaker for this event the first year it was held. He sends his regrets today that he can't be here in person, but as always, he is very much in this church. Please direct your attention to the television monitors on either side, and we will listen to a short video from Dr. McKinney. Good afternoon. I regret that I'm not able to be with you in person, but I'm certainly with you in spirit and honor the occasion which brings us together, that of honoring the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who touched and transformed all of our lives for good. And it's grand that the community colleges are giving leadership in this regard. And for years, Mount Zion has been the place, the venue, where this recognition of his birthday has taken place. I knew him for many years. In fact, I met him before we went to college. His father and my father were both pastors of sizable churches in their respective communities, Atlanta and Cleveland, Ohio. And having to go to these meetings, both of us were looking for some relief from what we thought was excessive hot air and escape us uh, from that. So when September 1944, I enrolled in Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, which was also <clears throat> my father's alma mater. I saw him again and we both recognized each other. 
Yeah, I knew him before he became famous. I knew him, according to some people, when he was infamous. But he did the right thing at the right time for the right reason. Well, this is an event that honors Dr. King and what he stood for and what he did and what became his mission, that of speaking for justice, civil rights, and the right thing. Some people now are so heaven-bound they're not any earthly good. And he kept many people's feet anchored we shall overcome, we shall overcome, we shall overcome someday, oh, Here this afternoon, we're joined by people who represent a variety of organizations that continue the work of Dr. King and Reverend McKinney. Hold your applause for a moment and, and uh, let me uh, acknowledge them. We welcome representatives from Aegis on Madison, the East Shore Unitarian Church, the Executive Development Institute, Northwest African American Museum, which just welcomed Lanisha DeBarladen as its new Executive Director, Seattle Housing Authority, Seattle Metropolitan Chamber of Commerce, Seattle Public Schools, officers of the Washington State Association of Black Professionals in Healthcare, and the Workforce Development Council of Seattle King County. We welcome you all. We also have with us today Rachel Berkison and representatives from Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal's office. King County Councilmember Jean Cole Wells, King County Sheriff Mitzi Johanknick and members of her command staff, Seattle City Councilmember Lisa Herbold, Captain Paul McDonough from the East Precinct and members of the Seattle Police Department command staff and public safety officers, Fire Chief Harold Scoggins and representatives of the Seattle Fire Department, and Port Commissioner Courtney Gregoire. Thank you all for being here. And of course, uh, other public officials may have uh, slipped in. If uh, I have not named you, please just stand for a second so we can welcome you and uh, thank you for being here. Any, anybody else? People are pointing at me that there are some public officials I didn't mention. You'll get to hear from them. They're, they're, they're a little further down <laughs> in our script, but uh, in, a, in a special place. Uh, Anyway, uh, we, we do want to thank uh, you know, all the folks, uh, especially those in public safety, for being here, uh, doing all you can to prevent violence, 
and to keep our community safe and just and strong. Now I'd like to introduce Reverend Dr. Laverne C. Hall, the associate minister here at Mount Sinai. Reverend Hall. Good afternoon. This is wonderful. Another year. Here we are. Another year of celebration, honoring the life, the legacy, and the testament of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He would be so pleased if he were here in body with us. So we proceed as if he were here. So on behalf of the leadership of Mount Zion Baptist Church, the diagonal that is led by co-chairs Juanita Riddick, Darlene Hobbs, every officer and each member and associate ministers of Mount Zion Baptist Church, we welcome you to Mount Zion for number 45. Isn't that wonderful? So as we prepare to proceed with number 45, I am pleased to introduce to each of you the new interim pastor from Mount Zion Baptist Church, the Reverend James O. Stallings. He will be here to stay with us in this community and help us to advance to another level of spiritual growth and community engagement. So, there you are. Can you stand behind me? <laughs> okay. So, as a part of this welcome, please come and help us welcome Reverend Stallings to Mount Zion, to this community, to the city of Seattle, King County, and Washington State. Let us show him and just express to him the warmth and hospitality that we have here in the Pacific Northwest. And so, Just, just, one, just one more word. So we, we invite you to come on Sunday when he will begin his preaching here at Mount Zion, 7.30 a.m. or 10.45, or both services if you wish. Now, <laughs> so Mount Zion welcomes you. Mount Zion invites you to return. 
And Mount Zion thanks you so very, very, very much. Thank you. program the words to lift every voice and sing are inside we just ask that you join along with us as we sing together Channel 7, I'm a political reporter, also get to uh, chase my share of other news, but focus on politics, and that means I've met all of the next few speakers uh, that we're about to hear from. Congressman Adam Smith is here from Washington, D.C., where he represents our state's 9th Congressional District. 9th Congressional District includes this part of Seattle. Welcome, Congressman Smith. Thank you. As, as always, it's great to be here, and obviously thank Reverend McKinney for his tremendous leadership. Uh, for decades um, in this community, in this country, from Mount Zion, uh, for their, their leadership as well. Um, and uh, give a special shout out to Essex um, Porter. Um, I'm getting old. I remember being interviewed by Essex when I was in the state Senate, 
And journalism and a free press is so incredibly important <laughs> to every And I'm a politician, so there are always those moments when the media has, has not been great. But I have always known that it's not about me. It's about the voice they bring to make sure that we have a free society. And Essex exemplifies that and has for the entire time that I've known him and been privileged to, to be interviewed by him and work with him. So it's great to see you here, and I appreciate your great work. And, and the message this year is focusing on Dr. King's leadership on nonviolence. He has done so many things in so many different places. And one of the things I love about coming to this event is you really dive into the details of Dr. King's legacy. What was he saying? What, was, what did he want us to do? And there are so many different pieces of it. And every year, you, you focus on a different one and really make us think. And it's appropriate this happens at the beginning of the year to sort of give us a fresh start. And nonviolence right now is enormously important. I, I have been an elected official for, gosh, 27 years now. There's never been a time when there has been so much anger in this country. And the thing is, some of it I get. Some of it I even agree with. Um, when you see what happened in Charlottesville, when you see some of the things that are said publicly, I understand that anger. And then I think about Dr. King. And I think about where the African-American community was at when he began his rise. Talk about anger. Talk about having things to complain about and being angry. The way his people were treated, it would be a natural tendency to lash out in anger. But he knew that you will not ultimately succeed with anger. And I, I read the quote on the cover of the, the program there about how you have got to bring those you disagree with towards you, not shove them away from you. You have got to find a way to make peace. I'll, I'll quote Game of Thrones, do a little weird here. You, you don't make peace with your friends. Um, that's the whole point. Um, so what he did and the example that he showed, he led our country, not just African Americans, but our entire country to a better place by showing that you can be wrong, you can be treated brutally, you can be treated unfairly, and you can rise above that and build a better society. And right now, when I think about where our country needs to go on a number of issues, but particularly on regaining forward momentum in respect for diversity, and make no mistake about it, in my opinion, we have lost that forward momentum, and we must regain it to respect people who are not like us. Being patient and not angry about it is very hard but it's not gonna happen because all anger does is it breeds more hate and breeds more misunderstanding and more violence. We have to stand up for diversity. We have to stand up for a variety of communities. And forgive me, I'm not gonna get into specific political issues, although there are so many. It's very difficult in my job today because people say, did, did you hear what the president said? And that could mean any one of 25 different things from one minute to the next. Um, so there's a lot to talk about, but I think the overarching message that as we move towards a more just society, as we move towards respecting people who are not exactly like us, doing so in a nonviolent, peaceful way, speaking your voice and also listening to those who disagree with you so you better understand them and can better move forward as a society, 
has never been more important. You could not possibly have picked a more appropriate message for this year. I, I will do my part. I look forward to working with all of you. Um, we, we need to make our society a better, more peaceful, less violent, and less hateful place. If we all work together, I am 100% confident we can do that. And again, I'm, I thank Martin Luther King for his incredible leadership, his incredible legacy, and for the message that he has given us for how to go forward on that path. Thank you for the chance to say a few words. Thank you, Congressman Smith. Uh, not, not only uh, for reminding us of the important role that a free press can play, very important to me personally, but also for reminding us that when Dr. King lived and when Dr. King was active, he was never far from the headlines. And you know, considering the headlines we get out of the White House these days and this celebration, Dr. King is still right in the midst of the headlines, right in the midst of what our society has to face and what we have to accomplish. The other Congresswoman uh, who has a large part of Seattle in her district is Permittal Paul. She couldn't be here today, but she did send a message, and let me share part of it with you here. Congresswoman Jayapal says, I knew of Dr. King first because of his connection to Mahatma Gandhi, a great leader from my own birth country of India. Like Gandhi, Dr. King was a once-in-a-generation leader. Like Gandhi, the problems Dr. King tackled were once seen as insurmountable problems, institutional barriers of race and class that seemed as if taken on, they would topple society as we knew it. Congresswoman Jayapal goes on to say, as a lifelong activist fighting for immigrants, civil and human rights, and now a member of Congress, Dr. King has been a deep and central inspiration throughout my life. His work has helped me make possible the path that I've taken from being a 16-year-old immigrant girl who came to this country by herself for college to serving now as the first Indian American woman elected to the United States House of Representatives. And it is the courage and the fight of Dr. King that made my journey possible. The words of Congresswoman Pamela Jayapal. The legislature is in session. Governor Jay Inslee sends his regrets that he can't be here in person. He asks us to share this message. I am pleased to extend warm greetings to all of those attending Seattle College's 45th annual community celebration of Martin Luther King Jr. This year's theme, nonviolence in a violent world, is a timely topic and one that affords us the opportunity to reflect on how Dr. King's example of nonviolence and call for peace, unity, justice, and equality can both inspire action and set the standard for how we respond to the fear, hatred, and injustice in the world today. Dr. King's legacy compels us not only to celebrate his ideals, but also take a hard look at where we are now and the work that remains to be done. In Washington, we have a long history of protecting civil rights and promoting greater equality, but we need only to look to recent events, both in our state and around the country, to see that Dr. King's vision of brotherhood has not been fully achieved. The governor goes on to say, 
While it is true we are facing great challenges in a time of heightened polarization, together we are stronger than any challenge, and together we can peacefully protest what we know to be wrong while working toward meaningful changes that promote justice, unify our communities, and lay the foundation for a bright, prosperous, and equitable future for all Washingtonians. The words of Governor Inslee. Now I'd like to, to bring to the stage County, King County Executive Dow Constantine. You have seen him in the headlines recently as he works to bring more justice to some of the systems here in the county, whether it's juvenile detention, whether it's inquests after fatal law enforcement shootings. Dow Constantine has been working to improve those systems. We're pleased to hear from him today. Thank you, Essex. As, uh, as Congressman Smith mentioned, last August, an anti-racist protest in Charlottesville, Virginia turned violent, and a young woman lost her life. And the very next day, a right-wing group called Patriot Prayer which had already shown itself to be neither, uh, had held a rally outside of City Hall. Like many in our community, I was outraged at the disrespect in the wake of the loss of life in Charlottesville. But there at City Hall, a group of local faith leaders arm in arm, stood singing under a banner that read, Love Wins. In that moment, Dr. King's presence was with us. Dr. King and his life reminded us many times of the effectiveness and the necessity of nonviolent protest. In his writings, he stated that non, the nonviolent protester does not seek to defeat or humiliate the opponent or the detractor, and that the end goal is redemption and reconciliation. Unjust people, those who need redemption, they are not the enemy. Injustice is. Dr. King stated that nonviolence is not cowardice. It is, in fact, the opposite. It is courage. The bravery of the freedom rider walking from the bus into the angry mob. The courage of those on the bridge in Birmingham facing down Bull Connors, clubs, and dogs, and fire hoses. Dr. King's point about nonviolence, on which we focus today, is this. At the center of nonviolence stands not merely a strategy or a tactic, but a principle. Love. Love wins. If we are to overcome the terrible burden of our history, if we are to create true justice 
And if we are, as Dr. King continually urged us, if we are to create a nation that lives up to its founding creed, then we must live by those words. Love wins. Thank you. Thank you, Executive Constantine. 45 years for this celebration. Many years, those in this room have welcomed a first. We now welcome to the podium for the first time at this celebration our newly elected mayor, Jenny Durkin. Thank you, Essex. Reverend Stallings and Reverend Hall, thank you so much for inviting me here for the colleges, for my, my police department command staff, for all the members of the city. Thank you for being here. Uh, this is a special place, Mount Zion, and Reverend, you will learn to love it as much as we have loved it in Seattle. Um, and it was often said that Mount Zion was just not in the heart of Seattle, but it was the heart of Seattle. And I think that's true. So good afternoon. The music today lifts our soul, and I want to thank the choir for that. And I remember at the beginning of my campaign this summer, I had the opportunity to come up to Mount Zion because Reverend Jackson was here and was meeting with Reverend McKinney, and they asked, and I had the great good fortune to meet with them and see them and talk to them. And it reminded me so much of the battles that have come before all of us, no matter how hard we think our day is how much harder those days were. And it reminded me too, when Reverend Jackson was running for president and in the throes of the election, he made some errors and he said to people, I am a public servant, not a perfect servant. God is not done with me yet. So I tell you as your mayor, God is not done with me yet. <laughs> and God's not done with any of us. God is not yet done with Martin Luther King Jr. or we would not be here. Though he was torn from us too early and too violently, he and his message of love and hope and justice live on. And so as we sit here in this church, let's not think about this as history, what was, what could have been. This today, is a commitment of recommitment to those hopes and ideals that people fought for, that people died for, that people sang for. That is the spirit of Martin Luther King Jr. That is what we mark today. And so while many of us are lacking hope many times when we look at what's happening in our country and the words that come out of our president, we look to each other. We look to each other for that hope, for that commitment, for that belief that justice can and will be done here in America. Every day we must recommit ourselves to that belief that justice can and will and must be done in America. Now, I had one of the greatest good fortunes that a person could have. 
you know, grew up in Seattle, part in a little town, Issaquah, when it was small, knew people here, and I got to serve under Barack Obama and Eric Holder. And do we miss them? Do we miss them? And I can remember so clearly when President Obama was elected and people started talking about, we're done. We've won. We're in post-racial America. We knew it wasn't true. We knew how much and how far we had to come, and we still do. But people are counting on us to get tired. People are counting that we don't remember how to march, that we don't remember how to sing. I have news. They're sadly mistaken. We remember how to march, and we will not march, we will not stop until when? That's right, till victory is won, till victory is done. So march out of here, lift your hearts, and remember, here in this church, in Martin Luther King Jr. County, where we remember him, it is not history. It is our future, it is our destiny, and we will fight for it. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor Durkin. You know, one of the reasons to be a reporter is to be able to witness history in person. So a few years ago, I got to witness history at this celebration when Seattle's first African-American police chief, also a member of this church, attended this celebration. Today I get to witness history again when Seattle's first African-American woman police chief attends this ceremony. Chief Carmen Best, Chief. I have to say interim, but thank you. But but thank you, Exits. Uh, I've uh, I've known Exits uh, for many many years. And my when I was a public information officer for the Seattle Police Department, my first live interview you remember that Exits was with you. So thank you for all of your uh, service as well. Um, good afternoon, everybody. Yeah. Great. I want to thank Seattle Colleges for allowing the Seattle Police Department once again to participate in this event. I'm very excited to be here. I have been here, uh, I didn't stand up, but I've been at these events for over 20 years. And every time I leave, I leave feeling inspired and motivated and just ready to get out and do more work. So I'm so honored that I have the, you know, the opportunity to talk to you just a little bit today. I wanted to begin by sharing a quote from Dr. King from his Nobel Prize acceptance speech. He said, man must evolve for all human conflict a method which, which rejects revenge, aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such method is love. 
a common theme that we've heard today, right? Love. And I can say that uh, Mayor Durkin and I were at an event last night and with several city council members, and the keynote speaker talked about love. Having first love for yourself, which allows you to have love for other people and humanize yourself to other folks. And it is this shared purpose that provides the foundation of understanding that can reduce all forms of violence in our community. As someone who grew up here, I believe that we have more in common with each other than anything that separates us. And I am confident if you turn to anybody next to you, uh, whether it's one of the ministers or a community service worker or an officer or whomever, and you ask them, why do you do what you do? They'll say to you that they have the same desire as Dr. King. We want to help make other people's lives better. And I can say on behalf of the Seattle Police Department, we are committed to the highest level of service in the country. I'm committed to it. But to do that, we know that we have to have the confidence and the trust of the community that we serve. And to that end, we are doing a lot of work in that area, a lot of training. I have to mention it. But we started out with perspectives on profiling, race the power of an illusion, then we went to implicit bias training, and then we went to um, uh, uh, lessons learned from, excuse me, lessons learned from the Holocaust um, that was actually taught by the Anti-Defamation League. And we do that because we want to make sure that the officers know and understand uh, the community that we serve and have a, a sense of connection to everybody's history in the community that we're serving. And I have to mention that we had full and effective compliance a couple of days ago, and we're very proud of that. <laughs> um, but I'll follow it up by saying uh, that is just the launch pad. We are on a trajectory. We're going to continue to grow and improve and reform and do better for this community that we love. I can assure you of that. Dr. King's work, in part, was based on the power of working together in unity with others. He strove to have relationships. And I can tell you, if you look at my wonderful command staff that is here today, they will tell you that I always tell them everything, everything is about relationships, how we relate to other people, how we humanize ourselves to other folks. And we have to earn support from a wide variety of groups and organizations because we know that no one gets it done on their own. It really takes relationships and teamwork. And I believe everyone, the advocate raising their voice, the parent commuting between work and school, the person on the margins struggling to be heard. Maybe they're calling us right now. <laughs> <laughs> and the officer that's promising to come home at the end of the day. They were all striving to make the community more like the dream of Dr. King, the dream that he shared with all of us. And if we commit, if we commit to having open and honest conversations about our commonalities, about our diverse histories and our rich histories that we have, and our hopes for the future, I know, I absolutely believe that the Seattle Police Department, the citizens, the men and women of this great city can continue to lead the way to have public safety that is equitable and fair and just. Thank you.
Seattle Central College opened its doors in 1966, one year after the Voting Rights Act was signed into law by President Lyndon B. Johnson. It was the same year that Dr. King led the 220-mile march against fear from Memphis, Tennessee to Jackson, Mississippi. For many people, some here now, that march seems like it just happened yesterday. The State Community College Act was passed in 1967, and by 1970, Central was joined by North Seattle and South Seattle Community Colleges. All three opened their doors to students as a district. 20 years later, Seattle Vocational Institute opened. Last academic year, both Seattle Central and the Seattle College District celebrated their 50th anniversary. So we do a little math here, and we know that the district was only five years old when it began honoring Dr. King. Let's thank the colleges for their great work in changing the lives of their students, for presenting this event free to the community for so many years. Please welcome to the stage the Chancellor of Seattle Colleges, Shawan Pond. Thank you, Essex. I would like to thank Essex for emceeing us for us today. He joined the Cairo 7 as a reporter in 1982 and is one of the most highly regarded reporters covering Washington politics and breaking news. He's earned the respect of colleagues, competitors, politicians. He's covered on both sides of the aisle. I don't have to tell you, he's earned the trust of the, his viewers on television and on social media. Many of us have followed him over the years. Thank you for your work. <laughs> I want to begin by introducing trustees of Seattle Colleges. Our district is governed by five trustees appointed by the governor. Today, we are very pleased to have Louis Cheney, chair of our trustees, Carmen Gaydon, past chair, trustee members. Please, thank you for your leadership. <laughs> trustee, Hill, as, uh, trustee Hill and uh, Rosa Perotta, Badayola, uh, Trustee Badayola sent their re regrets. They are not going to be able to be join us today. <clears throat> We'd also like to acknowledge former trustee, Kava Gaydon is with us. Thank you. <clears throat> former trustee, Courtney Gregoire, are you in the audience? Thank you for serving Seattle Colleges. Also give me great pleasure to recognize the executive leadership at Seattle Colleges. Dr. Sheila edwards Lane, president of Seattle Central. Dr. Warren Brown, president of North Seattle College. Interim president, Pete Laws at South. Maureen Steyer, Interim Executive Dean at Seattle Vocational Institute, and many other administrators are here. I would like to have all Seattle College's employees, students, please, please stand and let us recognize you for your great work. 
Thank you. On behalf of all of us at Seattle College, I'd like to give thanks to our friends here at Mount Zion for their continued friendship partnership in presenting this program to our community, the accounting ministry, trustee ministry, clergy, and other church officials. Reverend Stalling, welcome. Welcome to our community. We look forward to working with you on this program and other initiatives to make our community a stronger, more just community. I would also like to, yes. <laughs> would like to take a moment to recognize Mr. Frank Blathen and his spouse is here. Mr. Blathen is the publisher of Seattle Times for his continuous support for this program. I know many of you are reminded what's happening in our city, in our state, in our region, in the county, in this newspaper, and Seattle Times. Thank you so very much. And last but not least, I'd like to acknowledge our partners in education. Our colleges offer more than knowledge and skill training, indeed. We provide opportunities for civic engagement, leadership development, and community service. I would now like to invite members of our Black Student Unions to share some of their activities on campus. It is truly inspiring and heartening to see our students so involved in their college community and wanting to better the conditions of the world at large. Join me in welcoming our students and future leaders. Good afternoon. There's a lot more people here today than on the classrooms I'm used to speaking in front of. So, uh, so my name is Jacob Washington. I'm the president of the Black Student Union at Seattle Central College. And this is Talea Mackey, she's our vice president. And we're here today to tell you a little bit about the Black Student Union and the work we're doing. So the Black Student Union is an organization dedicated to the uplifting and empowerment of black students on the central campus and the communities we serve. We are an inter intersectional organization recognizing and celebrating one another's diverse histories. At the Black Student Union, we do not view ourselves as victims of marginalization and exclusion but as agents capable of creating change, creating a culture which recognizes and values every group and each individual. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, if I cannot do great things, I can do small things in a great way. The Black Student Union of Seattle Central College is doing that, just that, small things in a great way. And now Tulay is gonna share some of those small, great things with you. <laughs> Good afternoon. So in February, the Black Student Union has organized a week of action, so in which we plan to host one action a day for four days. Um, it will be starting on February 20th. Um, so the first one we'll have is going to be a workshop with the organization called SAFE. And so what they do is try to keep homes that are owned by people of color within the community. So their conversation will be about um, gentrification, how gentrification is the new colonization. And so on the 21st, 
And the 21st, we have partnered with the ACLU. They will be providing us with the lawyer, Isham Rivas. He will be talking about how to provide practical information to heighten everyone's civic awareness during encounters with law enforcement. And on the 22nd, we've invited a great woman named Kimberly Foster. Um, she is a creator of a groundbreaking digital community on behalf of black women. So um, she has made Forbes' 30 under 30 list. She is a Harvard graduate with a degree in African American studies. So she's an amazing feminist and she talks to the community about how to deal with issues within um, the black community itself on behalf of black women. And the last event that we have is going to be Legacy Festival, which will take place on the 23rd, that Friday. It is both a celebration of the historical achievements of our ancestors and the continuation of their work. We seek to provide an opportunity to connect individuals and organizations with shared goals for an evening of entertainment, community, and coalition building. At Legacy Festival, Festival speakers representing various change-making organizations across Seattle will inspire the audience between sets from some of our greatest local talents. So I just want to thank Mount Zion for having us, and please join, join the Black Student Union this February for our week of action. Thank you all. Now we welcome the students representing North Seattle College. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon. Buenas tardes todos. I am Paula Marroquin, and I am president of our Latino club at North Seattle College. I'd like to say hello, President Brown. Uh, this is Ishmael Young, and he is the new president of our BSU club at North Seattle College. We, are, we just started forming these clubs at North Seattle, so this upcoming month we are going to have uh, we are holding a film that talks a lot about Afro-Latinos in, in the world. A lot of, you know, us Latinos have a lot of roots to Africans. And so we're going to show that movie at North Seattle, most likely the middle of the month. We'd like to also say thank you to our President Brown for helping us. We are going to have our multicultural room soon opened, and we're very excited. We're we will have lots of um, opportunities for students at North Seattle, a lot of resources that help our community. I'm pretty excited about that. I just wanna thank everybody for inviting us. And I just have a small little quote that was given to me uh, by our wonderful uh, supervisor in our wellness center, Kariana. It's from Martin Luther King and here it is. The reason I can't follow the old eye for an eye philosophy is that it ends up leaving everyone blind. Martin Luther King, of course, I would not be here today. I am, uh, I am from Chile, and I came here in 1979 because of political issues. And very, I remember coming to this church, actually, when I was a very small child, part of El Centro de la Raza, and coming in here today made my heart very happy. So thank you very much, everyone. Hello, good afternoon to you guys. Um, pretty much, I was just already introduced, you know, as the president of BSU at North Seattle. Um, today, I just want to like to give a quick quote from MLK, you know, in honor of his contribution to society. <clears throat> a man who won't die for something is not fit to live. So, you know, pretty much just with that quote and his contribution to society, we can hopefully make a difference next year. So, thank you, thank you. Yeah.
And now we welcome our students from South Seattle College. Let me raise this a little bit, okay. <laughs> Uh, good afternoon, everyone. My name is John A. Beckham. I am president of South Seattle College's Black Student Union. First, I would like to give honor to Reverend Dr. King and also Reverend Dr. Samuel B. McKinney. I would also like to thank the Seattle Colleges for inviting us to this event and all of the speakers and members in the audience who join us in celebrating Reverend Dr. King's birth and legacy. Uh, Reverend King uh, contributed so much to the civil rights movement, both in his life and as a martyr in death. He dreamed of a better world and stood for many things. Among those are compassion, unity, and resistance, themes that our Black Student Union holds very dear. South Seattle College's Black Student Union is governed by a mission statement that says that we are an empowered student body group with a duty to serve and make communal awareness of black history and culture. Black Student Union also strives to create and bring positive social change while providing a safe, familial space for our members. We strive to achieve our mission through Black Student Union forums, biweekly gatherings, and events. Keeping in the spirit of our mission statement, we have a couple of upcoming events. During February, Black History Month, we are having our first annual Pan-African Festival. Our Pan-African Festival will be held at South Seattle College and will span from February 12th through the 15th. The festival will explore art, dance, and history um, of the people belonging to the African diaspora. Much like our mission statement, the purpose of this festival is to educate the students of South and empower the black community. Along with the Pan-African Festival, we will, doing, we will be doing another major event this quarter. During March, Women's Month, we are having a Black Women's Week. The week will look at the contributions to America from black women in the past, present, and have predictions for the future. Black Women's Week will have workshops, panelists, and lectures that and will take place March 13th through the 16th. It is important for South Seattle's Black Student Union to do this event because we have found that black women are often left out of the narrative when discussing the fight for women's rights in the past and even in the present. As you can see, South Seattle's Black Student Union has a lot of things coming up on our calendar for this quarter. If you have any questions about our events or our clubs, please see me later when they have refreshments or email southseattlebsu at gmail.com. Again, my name is Shawnee Beckham and I am the president of South Seattle's BSU. Thank you for your time today and please enjoy the rest of the program. We often speak of students as future leaders, but these students are leaders now. A tradition at this, a tradition at this annual celebration is the presentation of the scholarship honoring the life and work of Reverend Samuel McKinney. This year, we have another set of scholarships to award. Now, those who were here last year may remember that the Martin Luther King School Dream Foundation gifted its remaining funds to the foundation for Seattle Colleges. Today, the first scholarships from that gift will be awarded to students from Seattle Central College. Both the McKinney and Dream Foundation scholarships rotate among the campuses each year. Chancellor Penn, if you'd come back and announce the recipients of the scholarships. It'd be my pleasure. 
As Essex noticed, Seattle College has been serving Seattle, our community, for 50 years. We are about students, we are about future leaders. Over 50 years, we have many partners, leaders who help lead this institution. I'm so pleased to see Dr. Charles Mitchell, former chancellor of Seattle Colleges. Thank you for being here with us today. With us also, our great partner, Dr. Larry Nyland, Superintendent of Seattle Public Schools. Gio <laughs> Geary and Betty Patu, members of the Seattle Public School Board. And our great friend and neighbor to the south, Dr. Kevin McCarthy, President of Renton Technical College. Thank you for being here. As Essex noted again, this year's reception attend Seattle Central College. It is my honor, pleasure, to recognize the following students. Each of, of these students will receive $1,000 towards their academic endeavor. I'm pleased to have one of them with us today. Alaya Fuller graduated from Seattle Center School and is pursuing her associate degree in business. Asma Ali is pursuing her Bachelor's of Applied Science degree in psychology. She graduated from the Seattle World School. We're also honored to have many of our friends from the Washington State Association of Black Professionals in Healthcare with us today. You will be happy to know our final three recipients we are all pursuing a degree in nursing. Salama Ibrahim and Nasira Yara graduated from Franklin High School, and Panok Tiwodi got his diploma at Garfield High School. Please join me in congratulating Alaya and other recipients. Before I introduce our next scholarship, I want to recognize all the young people in our audience today. Among them are students from Garfield High School. Where are you? Thank you. Interagency Academy and entire fifth grade from the John Stanford International School. Welcome, welcome. Our message to each of you is this. You are the next generation to fulfill Dr. King's dream, and more importantly, each 
of your own dream. One way you can do this is through education. Study hard. Get involved in your community and your school. All of us in this room, not just your teachers, are cheering you on. I personally look forward to seeing you at one of the Seattle colleges if there's a dream that I have is that one of you will become a recipient of this scholarship in the future. Our final scholarship is the Reverend Samuel McKinney Scholarship, which Seattle College established in 1999. Here to present this spe special award is Interim President of South Seattle College, Peter Lords. Before I present the award, uh, allow me 10 seconds to say that it is an extreme honor to stand up at this pulpit. I've been coming for only 11 years to this event, and I'm humbled to stand here uh, at this historic church. I also get the privilege this year to introduce the recipient of the Reverend Samuel McKinney Scholarship. Dominique Gordon is a student at South with a goal of completing a master's degree in computer science. Yep. In addition to carrying a full load of classes and making the dean's list for two quarters in a row, he works two jobs at, on the campus totaling 30 hours a week. He's the treasurer for the United Student Association, the chair of the Student and Activity Fee Budget Committee, member of a tenure committee, and a member of the Seattle College's Ready, Set, Transfer STEM Academy. And there's more. <laughs> as a proud veteran of the Navy, he's a member of the Veterans Affairs Club and is a veteran service specialist, spending time on campus registering students to vote. <laughs> and there's more. Dominique is the first in his family to attend college. Each day he feels one step closer to escaping a life of poverty. Just as Dr. King advocated for education, Dominique strongly believes that if he can empower himself through his studies, he can empower others, especially those who mean the most to him. His dream is that one day another dream of his is that one day his little sister will realize that she too can achieve greatness through education. Yeah, so please allow me to uh, congratulate Dominique on this award. don't know what to say but I'm really really just filled with love right now and I really appreciate the honor to stand here it's a beautiful event
my um, first time being in a church for a while, unfortunately, but it's, it's, it's really, you know, a positive atmosphere, and I'm really happy to be here today, and I really appreciate the applause. Thank you so much. It really means a lot to me. such a wonderful program we're having today. Are you enjoying yourselves? Let's give a hand to Seattle College for this awesome and wonderful event. And so as you can imagine, it was a lot of work and a lot of wonderful things that went into going on a wonderful, awesome program such as America's Got Talent. And so before we move to our next segment of the program, we want to thank all of you for supporting us all the way through to the semifinals. Thank you for your votes. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your positive thoughts. And we most of all want to thank you all for inviting us back to this awesome occasion. Community is everything. Community is everything. And before we go into this next song, we want to have a little church today. Is that all right? But before we move into that song, we want to, first of all, again, thank you all for this awesome opportunity. And as you can see, our, our founder, Danelle Damon, is not with us today. And so he sends his apologies for his absence, but his desire is to continue the relationship that we have had over 10 years with this awesome event. So thank you again. And um, he sends his love, a special thank you and, and love to the Reverend Dr. McKinney in his absence as well. And he wants Dr. McKinney to know that he loves him and he's like a father figure to himself. So thank you so much. All right, you ready to have some church? We're gonna have some church, all right? Put your hands together, all right, come on. Yeah. 
Uh, hi, my name is Zach Tujor, and I'm going to be reading a poem that I wrote called Injustice. I'm going to be reading it first in Spanish, and then I'm going to read it in English. <coughs> Injusticia. La injusticia huele como las flores marchitas, una versión pervertida de algo bonito. La injusticia se siente como las espinas de un rosa, un engaño de la naturaleza. La injusticia sabe a comida estropeada, una vez buena pero arruinada para siempre. La injusticia se ve como un daño horrible, siempre escondido por la víctima. Injustice. Injustice smells like wilted flowers, a twisted version of something beautiful. Injustice feels like a rose's thorns, nature's trickery. Injustice tastes like spoiled food, once good but gone forever. Injustice looks like a horrible wreckage, always hidden from the victim. Good afternoon. Um, my name is Mara Haig. My name is Claire Swihart, and the piece that we're going to play is um, I compose this piece. Um, she will be playing the violin, and I will be singing. It is called Let Freedom Ring, and we hope you enjoy it. Ernesto Clara and I'll read a piece that I wrote. Um, it's called People's Dreams. First I'll read in Japanese, then I'll translate it to English. Minna no ime, 
みんな怖いものがない世界を願っていますおまわりさんに打たれることのない人種差別のないホームレスのいない爆弾のないセクシャルバイオレンスのない宗教によって差別されることのない肌の色で差別されることのない世界が願っていますそんな世界が来たら全部の大陸や国や街に自由が来るでしょうそしてドクター・キングや他のたくさんの人たちの夢が叶うでしょうその時本当の自由が生まれるでしょう People's dreams People wish they could be free from the fear of the world. Free from the fear of one day getting shot by a cop. Free from the fear of racist people. Free from the fear of one day possibly becoming homeless. Free from the fear of one day being bombed. Free from the fear of sexual violence. Free from the fear of getting judged simply because of your religion. Free from the fear of being accused of something you didn't do just because of the color of your skin. And when this day comes, freedom showering from every continent, country, city, and town. And when this day comes, Dr. King's and many other people's dreams will become true. And when this happens, freedom will have a true meaning. Fantastic young people. They are just fantastic. When I, when I think of our keynote speaker, two words come to mind incisive and fearless. Ijoma Oluo is a Seattle based writer, speaker, and internet. Yeller, she says. <laughs> she was named one of the most influential people in Seattle by Seattle Magazine. She is editor at large at the establishment, a media platform run and funded by women. Please join me in giving a very warm welcome to Jelma Ulua. Start out there. You guys hear me? All right. <laughs> Let me start out by thanking you all for having me here. This is such an honor. I still haven't quite wrapped my brain around that part of it. And if I start thinking about it now, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be able to finish my speech. But it is a true honor to be here and to be in this space, this amazing, wonderful space. And I would also like to thank. Maria Lamarca Anderson for putting this together and for being so patient with me as we work through this process. I would not be here without you. Thank you. I appreciate you, and you've been such a dream to know. 
Like many black children, I was raised with tales of the great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Much of that narrative in home, in school, in television, and in film centered around Dr. King's commitment to nonviolence in his fight for racial equality. He was a peaceful man, people said. No matter what, he never struck back. As I became older, my image of the great Dr. King became more nuanced. I started to see him as more than a man with a dream, as more than a man who didn't strike back. But for many, and for much of the broader narrative of our culture, Dr. King has remained little more than a gentle man with a dream. Dr. King wouldn't have been that demanding, people say. MLK wouldn't have been so angry, people say. He was a nonviolent man, remember? And as this past year has had us debating whether or not in 2017 and 2018, it is okay to punch Nazis, and whether or not Black Lives Matter marches are terrorist acts. The idea of Martin Luther King as the paragon of peaceful protest is invoked more than ever. But what was nonviolence really to Dr. King? Was that all he was? Was peace his only goal? At a time when those marching to protest the extrajudicial killings of black men, women, and children are called thugs, at a time when swastikas are being spray painted on local synagogues and schools, at a time when families are being torn apart to satisfy the desires of a xenophobic voting base, at a time when armies of anonymous strangers can find you online and tell you that they hope you die without any recourse, while discussing the issue of white privilege will have you banned from social media. Can we look at the work of Dr. King and look at the world we live in today and ask, what is violence in 2018? And in this new world, what does nonviolence actually look like? MLK would be ashamed of you. When I hear these words from someone trying to silence my fight for racial justice and equality, it feels like a body blow. Now this is not the pain of shame or regret. This is the pain of something that I deeply love, and I deeply love the life and legacy of Dr. King being abused. Dr. King was a brilliant leader, a loving husband and father, a man of great faith, but he was first and foremost a human being, a man with very human thoughts and feelings, successes and failures. I also heard he was really funny. In his autobiography, he wrote of his early experiences with the violence of racism, both emotional and physical violence. He described many times the anger he felt at experiencing such inhumane treatment, the anger that motivated him to act, just as his father's anger at watching his father before him suffer the injustices of racism motivated him to leave sharecropping, finish his education, and become a minister. It was after the success of the Montgomery bus boycott 
that Dr. King came to the teachings of Mahatma Gandhi and the deliberate practice of nonviolence. It was the success of Gandhi's tactics that first drew him in, and he quickly found that the principles of nonviolent resistance also suited his morals and commitment to loving his neighbor. He became convinced that nonviolence was not only the most effective way to combat oppression, it was the only way to do so without becoming an oppressor in your own right in victory. As Dr. King said, nonviolence is the answer to the crucial political and moral questions of our time. The need for man to overcome oppression and violence without resorting to oppression and violence. Man must evolve for all human conflict, a method which rejects revenge, aggression, and retaliation. But Dr. King's commitment to nonviolence was not a commitment to passivity. It was a commitment to direct confrontation with the violence of oppression. And Dr. King recognized that violence beyond the physical. In responding to outcry over rioting of angry and frustrated black youth, Dr. King pushed back against the idea that riots were the violence that society needed to be outraged over. He said, day in and day out, he violates welfare laws to deprive the poor of their meager allotments. He, fl he flagrantly violates building codes and regulations. His police make a mockery of law, and he violates laws on equal employment and education, the provisions for civic services. The slums are the handiwork of a vicious system of the white society. Negroes live in them, but do not make them any more than a prisoner makes a prison. While Dr. King was committed to a life and mission of nonviolence, this does not mean that everyone saw his actions as peaceful. And I think it is important to remember that while King and millions of other black people endured physical, financial, and emotional abuse at the hands of white supremacy, it was his direct action to confront that oppression that was labeled too destructive, aggressive, and even violent. So much, show, so much so that he was labeled an enemy of the state by the FBI. Sitting in a Birmingham jail, being kept in solitary confinement for leading peaceful resistance to racial segregation, Dr. King decided to respond to white preachers who had chastised him for such untimely and extreme actions. He said, you deplore the demonstrations that are presently taking place in Birmingham. But I am sorry that your statement did not express similar concern for the conditions that brought the demonstrations into being. I am sure that each of you would want to go beyond the, the superficial social analyst who looks merely at effects and does not grapple with underlying causes. I would not hesitate to say that it is unfortunate that so-called demonstrations are taking place in Birmingham at this time. But I would say in more emphatic terms that it is even more unfortunate that the white power structure of this city left the Negro community with no other alternative. Throughout his work, Dr. King was blamed for inciting violence that met him and fellow protesters in the streets. 
and as black people throughout the country joined his fight. It was the dissatisfaction of black Americans with abuses against them that became the, ma the main problem for many white Americans. It is said that even Robert Kennedy, in a moment of frustration over the rising protest of black Americans, exclaimed to his brother, then President John, John F. Kennedy, Negroes are now just as antagonistic and mad as they are ever going to be, mad at everything. You can't talk to them. My friends, I'll say, even the Negro maids and servants are getting antagonistic. And even now, in 2018, the complaint of Robert Kennedy sounds familiar, doesn't it? Are, those, are, are not those of us marching for black lives also labeled as irrationally angry? Is not our anger over systemic poverty, job discrimination, and lack of representation also viewed by many as the bigger threat to society than the abuse and oppression that we face? And what do we face? Recently, there has been rising concern in the medical and scientific community over an issue that has been of extreme concern to the black community for many years, the alarmingly high maternal death rate of black women. As doctors and scientists have looked at why black mothers are dying at a rate of three times the rate of white mothers, many have come to see that evidence points to one possible major, major contributor, racism. Not just the racism of doctors who do not listen to black patients, who do not believe their pain. Not just the racism behind lower le levels of access to preventative care, balanced nutrition, and safe and stable housing. Doctors and researchers are pointing to the long-term cumulative emotional effects of living with systemic racism. Effects that poison both the body and the mind. This is the fear at every traffic stop. This is the struggle to find out why your child has been sent to juvenile detention by the educators that are supposed to nurture and protect them. This is the pain of smiling through countless office jokes that serve up your humanity for laughs. This is the struggle to pay rising rents or working a job that doesn't think you are management material and knowing that a bank will never give you a mortgage. And as we march in the streets to save our kin from state violence, we are called thugs. When we fight for better representation, we are called greedy. When we demand clean drinking water, we are called impatient. And yet, we still fight. And as it was done throughout our entire history of struggle, many try to dismiss us. Many say that the real problem is that we are so angry. Why are you so angry? Dr. King wasn't angry. Be more like him. Dr. King was a man of love. His love was oceans deep and wide. This was love not only rooted in his faith, but in his community, his family, and his people. And all of Dr. King's life, he saw those that he loved so much abused, degraded, and killed by their own nation. And when he saw that, he was angry. 
And when he was 14 and forced to give up his seat on the bus and stand for a 90-mile bus ride because a white man had entered the bus and decided that seat was going to be his, Dr. King was angry. When he saw peaceful protesters brutalized by fire hoses and police dogs, he was angry. And when he saw the light go out of the eyes of his brothers and sisters when they gave up hope of ever achieving any measure of success, security, or safety in this society, he was very angry. When Dr. King led his peaceful demonstrations in Birmingham and was jailed, and witnessed his friends and fellow activists who were also arrested for their peaceful protest, abused by cops, and then he received word that he had been condemned by white church leaders for supposedly inciting this mistreatment. When he heard these church leaders praising the police who had abused him and his brothers and sisters for maintaining order, he was angry. He wrote to them, I wish you had commended the Negro sit-inners and demonstrators in Birmingham for their sublime courage, their willingness to suffer, and their amazing discipline in the midst of the most inhuman provocation. One day, the South will recognize its real heroes. Now, I don't know if y'all caught that, but that's black preachers sending a long letter that names names and will tell you who you are, but in a way that will still get published angry. <laughs> now, this is not anger over an insult or a snub. This is not anger over a dispute or spurned pride. This was an anger born from love, righteous, pure love. This is an anger that fights to keep love and those that you love alive. Dr. King wrote about his relationship with anger as he reached out to those church leaders who refused to see exactly what he and so many others were fighting for. I have not said to my people, get rid of your discontent, he said. But I have tried to say that this normal and healthy discontent can be channelized through the creative outlet of nonviolent direct action. Now, this approach is being dismissed as extremist. I must admit that I was initially disappointed in being so categorized. But as I continued to think about the matter, I gradually gained a bit of satisfaction from being considered an extremist. Was not Jesus an extremist in love? Dr. King was angry, but he worked hard to never forget why. He was angry because he loved, and because he loved, he moved mountains. When you see students protesting, when their local school hosts peddlers of hate, bigotry, and violence with open arms, and you wonder why they are so angry, I can tell you. They are angry because the racism, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, and transmisogyny being hosted by the institutions charged with nourishing and educating them is doing them real harm. And they love themselves, and they love each other. When you see people of color demanding better representation in films, movies, novels, and history books, and you wonder why they are so angry, I can tell you. Because when I take my young son to see a movie and nobody looks like him, he is told 
that he doesn't exist. He is not a hero and he is not worth saving. He is not slated for adventure or greatness. His story isn't worth being told. His dreams aren't worth having. And when he asked me why there are no brown people in this movie, just like in the last movie and the one before that, when I see him limiting his dreams to what society has told him is the best that he, as a boy who does not exist in our tales of greatness, can hope for, I am angry because I love him. I am angry. My brothers are angry. My sister is angry. Many of you are also angry. There is a lot to be angry about. We are angry at the countless ways that those that we love are being harmed every day. When people are trying to dismiss your anger, when they try to fault your anger, when they try to treat your anger over violence being done against you and those you love as violence itself, and they invoke the name of Dr. King and his commitment to nonviolence in an attempt to shame you, ask them this. How do you define violence? What I am fighting for, what we are all fighting for, is for a life of nonviolence. Not only freedom from physical violence, a life free from the all-encompassing violence of systemic oppression. We are fighting for freedom from the violence of the school-to-prison pipeline, from the violence of fruit, food deserts, from the violence of undrinkable water, from the violence of teacher bias. And those who would envision themselves as allied with black Americans, Asian Americans, Latinx Americans, indigenous Americans, Pacific Islanders, and more at the crosshairs of white supremacy, those who would envision themselves as allied with Dr. King's commitment to nonviolence must join us and our commitment to fight the violence of a discriminatory justice system, to fight the violence of the racial bias of our medical system, to fight the violence of systemic poverty, to fight the violence of erasure, and to fight the violence of taking our beloved heroes and community leaders and reducing them to little more than a speech about a dream in order to further diminish us all. We fight this harm, you fight this harm, because you love. You love your kin, your community, your people, and you love your humanity. You love so much that even when all seems against you, even when hate and bigotry has been voted into our highest offices of government, you are still here. You are angry and tired and hurting, and you are still here because you love. And when it seems to be too much, when the harm and the anger over that harm threatens to overwhelm you, threatens to turn you into someone you do not want to be, Reach in deep and find the love at the heart of it all. Or better yet, 
Don't reach in, reach out. The love is right in front of you. It's right next to you in this room. This community is why. This is what you are fighting for. Continue to fight. Continue to work to deconstruct the everyday violences that threaten those you love. And while we fight, let's remember the love that guides us. Let's fight together, but let's also take time to care for each other and heal each other, to nourish the love that will nourish us. And know that our fight is as righteous and true as Dr. King's was, because it is the same fight. And it is the same fight because it is the same love. It is the same love he had for us and still has for us, a love that cannot be extinguished. And as long as it exists, so does the fuel to the fire that we need to one day reach a future that was beyond even the dreams of our most iconic dreamer. Thank you for having me, and I hope you continue on in your fight with love. Let me remind you all that Ijoma has a wonderful new book out. Uh, look for it wherever you, you get books. It is called, So You Want to Talk About Race, and what a talk we just had. As we wrap up here, let me uh, remind you of some things you can do to con continue this work, this feeling. You can stop by the African American Museum, the Northwest African American Museum on Martin Luther King Day this Monday. There's an open house all day. On January 24th, the Associated Students at South are sponsoring Dr. Michael Eric Dyson. He'll speak on the legacy of Dr. King and all are welcome. Tonight at Seattle Central College, Susan Taylor, who delivered the keynote at this event back in 2008, will help launch the Seattle Cares Mentoring Movement's Black Male Achievement Mentoring Program. Now you can watch this program again on SCC TV, Comcast Channel 28 in Seattle, Wave Channel 19. It'll start this Sunday, January 14th at seven o'clock, and it'll be aired every Sunday at seven o'clock through the end of February. And uh, we also invite you to join us downstairs for a little reception to continue this conversation and enjoy some refreshments. As always, we close this celebration with a song. So let's finish what Reverend McKinney started during his remarks. We shall overcome. Shall
overcome someday.
Thank you for streaming this episode of Speakers Forum from KUOW 94.9 Seattle. The 45th Annual Community Celebration of Martin Luther King Jr. presented by Seattle Colleges was held on January 12th at Mount Zion Baptist Church. Thanks again to Sonia Harris for our recording. Tune in again soon.